this is the title of the sermon on the screen up there. This picture up here depicts putting the cart before the horse. This is a well-known phrase that means to have things out of order. Sometimes the things that are that should be last or first, but it's not necessarily last things. It just means things are out of order. Another way of saying it is to be jumping the gun. That's another popular way we say that phrase. It means that uh, some people like to eat their dessert first. Um, it's like telling a joke, but beginning with the punchline. Um, marrying someone before they become a Christian. It's cleaning the house after the guests have arrived. That's putting the court before the horse. Celebrating Christmas without God in the center is putting the cart before the horse. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. It's when family comes together. It's when we have dinners and we do things. It's when we uh, give each other gifts as a way of expressing our love. Uh, Christmas is a time to be thankful. And that sentiment is shared by people all over the world at this time of year. But not everyone gives God credit for their blessings. A lot of people celebrate the blessings, but not the one who gives them. That's what the world does. They are putting the cart before the horse. When Paul was in Lystra, which is in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, he was expressing this to the, to the people there. He said in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, He did not leave himself without a witness since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. It's the idea that God does wonderful things for all people. And all of us know that we don't deserve the wonderful things that he does for us. But he does this as a witness to himself. Listen to what that verse says again. This is Acts 14, verse 17. He did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. This is what God does for all people all over the world. And in Sunday school this morning, we began in the book of Hosea. And uh, there's a verse in chapter 2, verse 8. And it's, it's speaking to Israel. And so it refers to Israel as a she. It says something very similar. He says, this is what Hosea says. She does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. And so it is the world who does not uh, give God the credit for the blessings. But this is not something that the church is supposed to be doing. And so we want to make sure that this Christmas season we remain focused upon the reason we're doing this. So as the Christmas season is celebrated, I think we'll all agree that those who oppose God are offended when he is included. So much so that in our culture today, you know, people do not want to be offensive. And so they say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And, uh, and over time, the lines in our culture begin to blur between Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus, Home Alone, and manger scenes. 
So this morning, let's use our time to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and, you know, who it is that we're talking about. You know, when, we, when, we are, when our minds go to Christmas, we think of Jesus in a manger as a little baby. And He was. But we want to remember who that little baby actually is. And so that's uh, my objective this morning is to try to do that. And the first thing I would, would bring up uh, to us is to remember that Jesus is God. Um, Jesus did not begin, ex- he did not begin existing when he was born as a little baby in Bethlehem. You know, John 1 1 tells us that in the beginning, so before creation, Jesus pre existed creation. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, as you drop down, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, uh, glory is from the only... It's, the, it's telling us that the, before creation, Jesus existed. He did come into the world in the, in, as a form of... A, as a man, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, uh, that means that God, which would include obviously Jesus, is distinct from creation. They're not the same thing. They're not connected. God exists whether creation does or doesn't. He is distinct from it. Um, Angels are not humans, and humans are not angels. Angels are not God, and humans are not God. We are not God, and we never will be. We are distinct from God, too. Um... You might be thinking, well, aren't we little gods? Some of you may have heard something like that. You might be thinking, well, what about Psalms 82? What about John chapter 10? Well, in Psalms 82, verse 6, it's talking about how mortal men are exercising God's authority on earth. They're representing His authority on earth as rulers, as kings, as uh, judges, But there's this incredible warning in there about them being unjust. And so when Jesus was being accused of blasphemy in John chapter 10, he quoted that psalm. So rather than affirming that we are God or or in some fashion, it's a warning, it's sarcasm, it's condemnation. We are not God and we never will be. We are only called God's children as a way to express our close relationship with Him. Being called God's child is expressing the fact that we have been uh, adopted into His family, that we've been given eternal life, and uh, that we are recipients of of that inheritance. And the guarantee of our inheritance is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so to express this new relationship that we have with God through Christ... We're called God's children. But angels, people, man is very distinct from God. And so that's why I'm asking us to turn to Ezekiel chapter 1 because uh, it could not be more clear. We're going to read something here in Ezekiel chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter because it's, uh, it's such a... 
it's a it's a it's a jaw dropping chapter, Ezekiel chapter one. And what Ezekiel sees, and we'll just kind of I'm going to say it real quick, but what Ezekiel sees is this incredible, the coolest car ever made, the coolest ship, the coolest spaceship, the coolest whatever you want to call this. It's the 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 coolest. What he's trying to describe is that the base of this thing is the engine, the motor that drives it. And then there's a little expanse or a plate above it, but you can see through the plate. And above the plate is the throne of God, and Jesus is sitting on that throne. And this comes down out of heaven in the middle of an incredible storm with lightning. Zoom, comes down to Ezekiel. This is the picture in chapter 1. Let's read it together. In the thirteenth year of the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, while I was among the exiles by the Chebar Canal, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile, the word of the Lord came directly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chebar Canal, and the Lord's hand was on him there. I looked and there was a a whirlwind coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing back and forth and brilliant light all around it. In the center of the fire, there was a gleam like amber. The form of four living creatures came from it, and there was their appearance. They had human form, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the hooves of a calf, sparkling like the gleam of polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings on their four sides. All four of them had faces and wings. Their wings were touching. The creatures did not turn as they moved. Each one went straight ahead. The form of each of their faces was that of a man, and each of the four had the face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle. That is what their faces were like. Their wings were spread upward. Each had two wings touching that of another, and two wings covering its body. Each creature went straight ahead. Whenever the spirit wanted to go, they went without turning as they moved. The form of the living creatures was like the appearance of burning coals of fire and torches. Fire was moving back and forth between the living creatures. It was bright, with lightning coming out of it. The creatures were darting back and forth like flashes of lightning. When I looked at the living creatures, there was one wheel on the ground besides each creature that had four faces. <clears throat> the appearance of the wheels and their um, craftsmanship were like the gleam of burl, and all four of them had the same form. Their appearance and craftsmanship was like a wheel within a wheel. And when they moved, they went in any of the four directions without pivoting as they moved. Their rims were large and, fright and frightening. Each of their four rims were full of eyes all around. So when the living creatures moved, the wheels moved beside them. And when the creatures rose from the earth, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, the creatures went in the direction the spirit was moving. The wheels rose alongside them. The spirit of the living creatures was, was in the wheels. And when the creatures moved, the wheels moved. When the creatures stood still, the wheels stood still. And when the creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose along them, alongside them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And then above this, the shape of an expanse was a gleam like awe-inspiring crystal, 
It was spreading out over the heads of the living creatures. And under the expanse, their wings extended one toward another. Each of them also had two wings covering their bodies. So when they moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of mighty waters, like the voice of the Almighty, and a sound of commotion like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. A voice came from above the expanse over their heads, and when they stood still, they lowered their wings. The shape of a throne with the, with the appearance of sapphire stone was above the expanse. There was a form with the appearance of a human on the throne high above. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber, with what looked like fire enclosing it all around. From what seemed to be his waist down, <clears throat> I also saw what looked like fire. There was a brilliant light all around him. The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the form of the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I fell face down, and then I heard a voice speaking. How is that for the opening chapter of a book? Well, this, of course, is Jesus. This is the Son of Man. So the four living creatures are identified in chapter 10 as cherubim. So these are angels. And they have the likeness of men, but they would never be mistaken for human beings. Their upper wings touch at the tips, forming a base. So as their wings, the, the two wings cover, and two wings would be expanded, and they would be touching the tips of the other angels, the other three angels. So all four angels, so it would create a base. And beside each one of them was a wheel, and inside that wheel was another wheel. And they, so that whenever this throne moved, the angels didn't move to turn, they just stayed in the same direction. It's kind of like a, an omni-ball. Um, you may have seen the vacuum cleaner, it's got a big ball in it, so whichever way you move, the ball, the, the vacuum cleaner stays straight, but the ball's moving. And so this is the kind of concept there. And uh, the, the, it tells us that wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went in the direction the spirit was moving. And so the gas pedal, the, the fuel is the Holy Spirit moving this as He chooses to go. And how are these angels described that there's this intense burning power of God permeating their being. It's bursting through them. And so as the wheels were turning, the, the moving wings sounded like water rushing down a mountain. And when the throne stopped, their wings lowered. And all of that is happening underneath this expanse. And when Isaiah looks at the, or when Ezekiel looks at the expanse, uh, it reminded him of ice crystals sparkling in the light. And upon this expanse was the throne, and on the throne was the form of a man, like glowing metal and fire, so brilliant he could only see the form before falling to the ground. And this entire vision is surrounded by a rainbow. This is our Savior. As we've been studying the book of Genesis, a number of times Jesus has already appeared. Several times. And when he appears, he doesn't appear as a little baby. Every time he is in control, he is the one giving the instruction. And uh, uh, he's the one who tells Adam how it is. When he talked to Noah, he told Noah how it is. And when he talked to Abraham, he told Abraham how it is. 
And of course, this does stand in strong contrast to Jesus coming to earth as a little baby. And so let's ask ourselves the question, what does God accomplish by coming to earth as a little baby? Now, we know that the primary purpose was to be our substitute and to take our place on the cross. And that through his resurrection, we will be raised. But why a little baby? Why did not he just appear as an adult, sinless, perform his miracles and teach and then endure Calvary? Well, I suppose there are any number of ways God could have done things, but this is the way he did it. So I'm going to give us three examples, three reasons why he did this. But at the top of all three of those, we want to be reminded that he did it this way for our benefit. It wasn't something he needed to do. This was for us. And so uh, the first one I have here, I think this is the slide. Does it even have a, a verse on it? No? It's just a picture, isn't it? Do you like the picture? Yeah. All right, so the first reason is quite simply to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill things that God has already said. Now, remember that God doesn't have to fulfill prophecy for himself, so why does he do that? Why does he tell us something, and then when it occurs, we can look back and say, oh, he told me that. Why does he do that? He does it to show us that in the middle of life, when things do not seem to be going the way we think they should, he's in control. He does that so that we know that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And so he's made a lot of promises to you and I, and so we can have confidence in those promises. And one of those reasons is because he demonstrates that to us through fulfilling Bible prophecy. I have several written down here uh, he, uh, in Isaiah 7:14 that he'll be born of a virgin, in Micah 5:2 that he'll be born in Bethlehem, in Hosea 11:1 that he would be called out of Egypt. And then as we think about the book of Genesis beginning in chapter 3 verse 15 after the fall, when God had his things that he had to say to Adam and to Eve and to the serpent, there was the promise of the redemption in chapter 3 verse 15 the redeemer is going to come from Abraham we find that out in Genesis chapter 12 and he's going to come through Isaac Genesis 26 he's going to come through Jacob Genesis 28 and at the end of the book of Genesis we're going to find out that the one who's going to be the redeemer is going to come through the tribe of Judah it gets even more specific Isaiah tells us it's going to be from the lineage of Jesse and his son David, and that the scepter will not pass from Judah until one day it will be wielded over all of the nations. So the first reason God came as a little baby, and of course there's a, there's a given in this math problem, which is that Jesus came to the earth to rescue us, to pay the price for our sins, and to raise us up even though we will die because of the law of sin and death. That was the primary reason. But the way he decided to do it, one of the reasons is to fulfill Bible prophecy for our benefit. So that helps us. Uh, the second one is that we look at the life that he lived. 
by coming to earth as one of us, um, uh, one of the bad sides of this is that it became, it created a stumbling block for those in unbelief. You know, when they see Jesus and the things that happen to Jesus, that's a stumbling block. But for those of us who are born again, those of us who have put our faith in him, the second reason is that he is our high priest. Jesus has become our high priest. And what on earth does that mean? Well, in the book of Hebrews, we're told that he's our high priest. And this is one of many titles given to God or given to Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And so it's just one of many titles. But each time we're given a title or a name for Jesus or, or God himself, uh, whatever it is, what, it, what it's doing is it tells us something about who he is and what that means to us. And so here we're being told he is our high priest. What does a high priest do? What does a priest do? A priest is a mediator. And a priest is set apart or holy. He is set apart for performing that service. So it's a very special person that acts as our priest. The first time we were introduced to this was in the book of Genesis in chapter 14 when we met the king of Salem or the king of Jerusalem named Melchizedek. Remember, Abraham bowed before him and paid tithes to him. And uh, he was an acting priest for the Most High God. Later in the Bible, we find out that, in the book of Genesis, actually, we find out that the priestly order will come through the tribe of Levi. And further, it will be more defined that it's going to come through the line of Aaron. These are the people that God chose. And so with that Old Testament background, when we ask ourselves, what does it mean for Jesus to be our high priest? Well, it's a couple of really neat pictures in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 7. In Hebrews 5, it tells us that Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. So that means that he is our priest apart from the law. But then in chapter 7, he is fulfilling the law through the sacrifice. And so he does both with the law and without the law. In Hebrews chapter 4, it calls him the great high priest. In verse 14, it calls him the great high priest. And then two verses later, it tells us that because he is our great high priest, we can come before the throne boldly to obtain grace and mercy in our time of need. This is one of the things God has accomplished, Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. There are other places in, in here that talk about how uh, one of the benefits of him being our priest is that he can relate to us better now than, than anyone. I, that's really not true. I think, I think God could always relate to us. He always could understand and empathize and all those other things. But because he came as a form of a baby and grew as a man and suffered in the way he did, it shows us that he is a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make satisfaction, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. So this is nice, isn't it? He understands. We know he understands. He understood anyway, but now we really know he does for sure. He's demonstrated that to us. 
Hebrews 4.15. I told you in verse 14, he was the great high priest. In verse 16, because he's our great high priest, we can come boldly before the throne to ask for grace and mercy. It says to obtain grace and mercy. Not to ask for it, it says we get it. Um, but in the middle, in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. This is Jesus. We want to think of the time that God takes to accomplish his plans. In the book of Genesis, we've watched God withhold his judgment for 120 years. Noah built an ark. 120 years. God waited. We saw Abimelech. We saw, or not Abimelech, we saw the, the valley of Jordan, the cities in, the, in that valley and, and their sin. And it wasn't time. It was going to be time, but it wasn't time yet. So we saw God wait. We saw God wait to fulfill his plan until Abraham and Sarah were too old to bear children. And in his accomplishment on the cross, think of the time God brought Jesus into the world as a little baby and raised him all the way up into a grown man. The time. God has given us time. It shows us that God has a plan. And many times in the Bible we can see that our, our response to what he's doing in our lives uh, can be to our benefit. Um, he will not do certain things if we behave certain ways. So that's something really good for us to remember. <laughs> something really good for us to remember. Um, and then in closing, there's one more reason. And it's in the book of Philippians. And so I'd ask you to turn there with me to, to Philippians chapter 2. This is the final reason this morning. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we know Jesus is our substitute. We know He's our Savior. We know that when we die, we will be raised because of Him. We know that was His primary objective. The Bible has told us that in many times. But it was coming as a little baby the way He did. This fulfilled Bible prophecy for our benefit. He is our high priest, which is to our benefit. You know, we have um, in First John, he, calls, he says that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. And so there's different... Uh, when, and Timothy tells us that when we pray, we pray to God, God the Father through Jesus because Jesus is our mediator. And so those three verses there, being a mediator, being a priest, being uh, our advocate, it is expressing that role that Jesus plays sitting at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. And uh, <clears throat> sympathetic. Um, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tested in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. And then finally, here in Philippians chapter 2, this is a very well-known passage, but it's telling us who Jesus is. And so uh, this is to, to elevate him, to exalt him, for us to be, rem to, to be reminded of who he actually is. We saw him praying in John chapter 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, we, we, might, we might forget who.
who Jesus really is. All we have to do is think of Ezekiel chapter 1 for the rest of our lives. We'll remember who Jesus is. But here we see that in this life that he lived, Jesus becomes our example. We should be reminded that for Jesus this wasn't easy. This took sacrifice and suffering. It wasn't easy for him. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in... Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the for, who existing in the form of God did not consider um, equal. <clears throat> well, before I read it, just 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 know what it's going to say. It's going to tell us. It's going to describe God in heaven who he was, and the, the willingness he was to humble himself and come down here like that and to go through all of the things that he did for our benefit. And it's going to end with him back in heaven. So here's this. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, that sacrificial attitude of doing things for others. Who, existed in, in the, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his eternal form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to, to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's pray.